If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Obviously, COVID-19 was uh, a brand new disease, and it wasn't exactly clear what we were dealing with. There was no specific roadmap for how to deal with it, right? We watched the experience in China, both in terms of how China kind of downplayed initially, maybe wasn't honest about the virus, but then how they they responded uh, with a lot of force in terms of massive, massive lockdowns, unprecedented kind of responses, so once it got out of China and started to get to other countries, a lot of questions as to what would we do now? How do we respond? And look, there have been some success stories. I think certainly Taiwan's a great example. South Korea's a, a country that had a problem, got it under control. New Zealand's a, a country you can look to. Obviously, there have been some disastrous situations. I mean, Italy, Spain, France, the UK, really hard hit, New York. Even you could argue to some extent Quebec here in Canada. So I I don't know that anybody's done it perfectly. And I think it's fair to look back and hopefully public health officials, government officials are honest enough to take a look back and say, well, here's what we did that worked. Here's what we did that didn't. Here's what we should have done differently. Now, Sweden's an interesting uh, case study in all of this because uh, Sweden took a very different approach. And it's uh, one that's drawn a lot of attention. Had a lot of voices saying we should have done what Sweden did. This is the way to deal with COVID-19. Why didn't we follow Sweden's lead? Others saying that was way too risky. Why did Sweden take that approach? Why didn't they have stricter public health measures in place? Well, Sweden's now their chief epidemiologist, who basically designed this approach, uh, has now come out and said that he regrets it, that he would have done things differently, that it didn't work. Now, Sweden hasn't been a a disaster, maybe, at the scale of other countries, but it certainly hasn't been a success story. Uh, Sweden's death rate is quite high, and perhaps, as the chief epidemiologist now concedes, didn't need to be that high. But the interesting thing, I mean, Sweden basically had no lockdowns. Restaurants and bars stayed open. Schools stayed open. We're kind of moving in that direction anyway. So with Sweden's epidemiologist saying this didn't work, with Canada, the U.S. kind of drifting toward a, a Sweden-style approach, maybe we should uh, find out what lessons to draw. There's a really interesting uh, piece today in the National Post uh, on this. Matt Gurney uh, is columnist, editor with the National Post, the author of this piece, which you can find at nationalpost.com. Matt, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Always good to be here. A lot of people have been following this, and, and I think it was interesting to see what was going to happen in Sweden. I guess if, if it had been a success in, in Sweden, then, yeah, we could have said, and certainly I think the lockdown skeptics would have said, aha, see, this is how we should have done it. So what conclusions should we draw from, from this admission and from what's happened there? Well, you know, what's really interesting about this is how this is going to sound terrible. Like, I, I know this is going to be words that could easily be selectively edited to be used against me. 
But the important thing isn't how many people died. Like, that's not the successful metric here. Sweden always acknowledged that it, its strategy was going to involve deaths. Like, their attitude wasn't casual about it. Like, that's not, it's not how I would describe that. Their attitude was almost, to, to an extent, more brutally honest about the fact that when you have a dangerous respiratory viral pandemic, you're going to lose a lot of people. And I think probably to an extent that was almost refreshing, the Swedes were honest with themselves about that. So the problem that Sweden is having isn't per se that they lost a lot of people. They've lost about 4,500 people. That's not, you know, I mean, certainly other countries have lost more. I mean, the Americans are over 100,000. But Sweden is a tiny country. There's only 10 million of them. There's fewer, like, you know, just as an example here, Ontario has lost somewhere around 2,000 people. And Sweden has 4 million fewer people than my province. So Sweden has lost a lot of people in relative terms, but again, they expected to. What the problem the Swedes are running into is that the proposal that was sold to the public was that we're not going to be able to avoid deaths, so we're going to manage them. And by managing this smartly and by being stoic about some of the, these heartbreaking losses we're going to have, we're going to have to grit and bear some really unpleasant stuff. But we're going to come through it, we're going to avoid the economic damage, and we're going to have herd immunity. And, geez, Rob, I know you would have talked about this on your show, yeah. but herd immunity means when enough people have been exposed to a virus and have survived it, their immune system recognizes it, and you will not get sick from it again. And once enough people out there on a subway or in a restaurant or in a movie theater or at a school are immune to the virus, the virus will stop spreading. Every time someone sneezes with the virus, it will find fewer and fewer vulnerable hosts because the hosts that are out there, you and I going about our business, will no longer be susceptible to it. So Sweden's plan was, we'll take the deaths, we will get the economy, uh, we'll preserve the economic output, and we'll get herd immunity. They got the deaths, they didn't get the economic protection, and they didn't get herd immunity. Sweden's economy has collapsed, basically in line with everyone else's. And I've been getting Sweden apologists in my inbox all day saying, yeah, but what about global issues, right? It's not fair to say that Sweden's economy collapsed because it ignores the fact that uh, the, re you know, the rest of the world's economy is collapsing, and it ignores the fact that Sweden's a trading nation and their exports have gotten wiped out. No, it doesn't ignore that at all. It holds that Sweden is being affected by the same consequences that are afflicting everyone, and they decided to trade deaths for economy, and it didn't work. We can talk about why it didn't work, but let's not pretend it didn't happen. And the other one that is, to me, more interesting is the idea of herd immunity. Like, suck it up, folks. We're going to take it really hard on the chin for uh, a couple of months but then we'll be through it. And as recently as about four weeks ago, in late April, the chief uh, epidemiologist in Sweden was saying, I think we're close. I think we're going to have herd immunity in Stockholm in about a couple of weeks, he said. By the end of May, we should be there. And his estimate was they would need to get to about 60% herd immunity, 60% of the population having been exposed and survived it. Well, they've revised that number from 60 to 7 so that's, that's a 53% spread. And the, the epidemiologist had said, well, we, we expect it's probably...
probably actually better than 7% now because our numbers are a bit out of date. So maybe it's as high as 20. Okay, so it's only a 40% spread. The best case scenario in Stockholm right now is that 80% of the population is still vulnerable to COVID. And outside of Stockholm, where most of Sweden's outbreaks have been, the immunity rate has got to be in the single digits. So it's not that Sweden got it wrong because a lot of people died. A lot of people have died everywhere. They got it wrong because they expected that by being tough, they could reap some benefits, and those benefits have not materialized. Yeah, I think that's an important point because you're right. You, you look at trade-offs, and, and you can take a, a stricter health approach. Uh, take New Zealand. New Zealand had a really strict lockdown. They, they, you know, they're looking at trade-offs that we're going to err on the side of saving lives, preventing illness, and we realize there's going to be a trade-off. Sweden factored in different trade-offs, and they didn't get them. So it's it's hard to see where where they can point to some measure of success. And as you say, I think that's what the, the chief epidemiologist is getting at here, because they kind of got the worst of all worlds, didn't they? They really did. And I, I, to a certain extent, this is, again, I know I'm saying things that are brutal here, and I forgive me for, for being so blunt about this, but honestly, like, the world owes Sweden a, a debt of gratitude. They are our control group. If if Sweden had done the same thing that the rest of the Western world had done, and Rob, I'm sure you've heard from them. You've probably talked to some of them on your show or you've read them in, in newspapers. There are people out there who are skeptical on the value of lockdowns and who believe that the lockdown, that we should have, we could have avoided it and we could have gone the Sweden model. Or maybe, maybe they're not that quite hardcore, but they could have done what Sweden did. And you've set it up well in your introduction. It was a blended model. It was a partial lockdown. It was a soft lockdown in Sweden. And for months, I've had people saying to me, well, we should be doing what they're doing. They, they have more guts than we do. They're smarter than we are. They're willing to take more risks than we are. If it wasn't for at least one country out there being willing to go out and do it and find out that it didn't work, we would have been talking about this for years. But one country did go out there and advanced Western democracy with an excellent health care system that can track all this stuff so there's no doubts about the quality of the results. The model was tried. It didn't work. And there was something that I think is so important to this argument here. We are undoubtedly going too far in the opposite direction. Like, I have no doubt when this is all said and done, we're going to find out that some things we did at economic cost weren't necessary. We're going to find out that we could have not locked down things that did get locked down. Or we're going to find out that there are things that we could have opened up sooner, that we opened up a few weeks later than we did. And again, there's going to be economic cost to that. So we're probably going to find out that we could have been a little bit more lax about certain things, but our errors were born of caution. And Sweden's errors were born of confidence. I don't know. If I'm going to be responsible for a bunch of deaths, I'd rather have erred on the side of uh, of being cautious than of being overly confident. Yeah, and I think that's a fair way to look at it. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think we should appreciate the candor of, of Sweden's chief epidemiologists who are at least willing to acknowledge uh, that perhaps they didn't get things right. And I, I do wonder if we'll see that same sort of conversation here, a willingness on the part of whether it be public health officials, elected officials, to, as you say, go back and say, you know what, and, and maybe we didn't handle this well. Maybe this side of it we should have focused more on. Maybe that side we didn't need to really address at all. It's okay, I think, to have these conversations. It's okay to acknowledge we had missteps. 
But, you know, the question becomes, what were the costs of those missteps? And if the cost were lives lost, as they're having the, the conversation in Sweden, that's, that's not a good position to be in, I don't think. I think, you know, I do, I understand exactly what you're saying, and I admire, as you said, the, the guts and the honesty of the epidemiologist to go out there and to say that knowing now what he does, if, if he knew then what he knows now, he would have done it differently. That's not an easy thing for anyone to admit, and I think in Canada something we're going to have to look at when this is all over. We're going to have to look at the quality of advice and guidance our own public health officials gave us. I think in Alberta you guys did pretty well. In Ontario, well, there's some more ambiguity about that. A lot of questions being asked about the quality of provincial advice we've gotten, and everyone in the country knows about the questions that have been raised about the federal government's uh, policies and the federal government's advice. So just as a journalist, I find it refreshing when a public official comes out and goes, yep, we got that one wrong. I think it's worth noting, just to be fair, that the uh, Mr. Tegnell, the uh, Swedish epidemiologist, he has said that Sweden is going to continue on its current course because now that it's committed, it doesn't make sense to change mid-course. Okay, fine. I believe that. Like, I get it. Like, that, that probably does make sense. But I just, I find it really interesting as a, as a matter of human psychology, and I don't have the educational ability to go head-to-head -head with an epidemiologist, and I don't have the policy experience to go up against a public health official and tell them how to do their job, but I can refer you back to what I said before. And this is such an interesting point. Whatever we've seen, we've seen this in Sweden, we've seen this across Europe, we've seen this in Canada, and we've seen this in the United States. Whatever the public health advice was, Something that seems to have been missing from all of the models and all of the plans and all of the communications was the psychology of the public, collectively but also individually. One of the reasons that Sweden's economy has not been spared to the extent that they were expecting was because it turns out, and we've seen this already in the U.S., that the lockdowns were not something the governments imposed on an unwilling population. They were something a government made official after the population went ahead and did it itself. You've probably seen these figures from the U.S. about when the lockdowns were imposed. And by tracking things like transit ridership and debit machine transactions, the economic activity across the United States was tanking days before the lockdown orders came in effect. And even in a lot of places, now that the lockdown orders have been lifted, the economic activity has come back a little bit. But it hasn't come roaring back because hundreds of millions of us across this free world of ours made our own decisions. And it turns out for most of us, the decision was to play it safe. And maybe that was part of Sweden's plan here. You can leave the restaurants open, but if no one goes out for dinner, you're still screwed. Yeah, I, I subscribe to that. I mean, I, I think the pandemic caused the the uh, economic pain, not not our response to it. And if you want economic recovery, you got to have success on the public health side. And I, I think the yep. jurisdictions that that have done that are are best positioned to to emerge out of this on the economic side. I, I think that's going to be the lesson. But I mean, you know, other countries avoided strict lockdowns. I mean, South Korea, Japan's another example. Uh, Taiwan, obviously, maybe is is the gold standard for how to deal with this, but. You know, there, there's there, there's much more to it, right? What do you have in place in terms of testing and, and isolating, right? How how thorough is your surveillance when it comes to, to COVID-19? What about mask wearing? I mean, there's all kinds of different components that come into play. And I guess the takeaway, whether we're talking about Sweden or, or South Korea or wherever, is what do we need to 
move forward. It's not a binary choice between let's do nothing and let's stay locked down forever, right? It's about what do we need in place to to kind of live with this, keep it in check, and what can we learn from other countries, right? And I, I, as you say, I mean, Sweden has been an interesting case study, and I, I do think we, we can learn from it. I think as well, and it, it's a point you're raising there, and it's a point well taken, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot. One of the problems we have, and something with, with our public health officials, you know, let, let's talk about the federal government's response. And I'm not here to beat up on, on Dr. Teresa Tam. She's, she's taken a beating already, and as you well know, a lot of it is, has nothing to do with her workplace performance. There's a lot of sick people out there targeting her for all the wrong reasons. That being said, her job is not above reproach, and it should not be beyond criticism. And one of the things that I have found frustrating about her performance is that Canada has been repeatedly late to the party on making decisions that other countries made much faster than we did. Mm -hmm. Issues like uh, closing borders, suspending flights, airport screenings, border controls, quarantine, mask wearing, things like that. One of the interesting things, though, is that do you ever get the feeling sometimes that Canadian government officials assume there's 37 million people in this country, none of whom have ever heard of the Internet? (laughs) And, you know, like they think that we're all sitting around waiting for our update on the CBC every day coming direct to our homes from Ottawa and that we don't go online and read international news aggregators or see on social media someone posting an interesting article from Japan or from Germany. One of the things that we've discovered, and Rob, I'm with you, like we have time enough when this is over to to do a full top-to-bottom review of how we did, but one of the things that jumps out to me already is that we have other jurisdictions in in this world, Taiwan being a great example. They figured out testing and tracing, so did the uh, South Koreans, way faster than we did. And then officials in Canada for weeks were sitting around going, yeah, hey, maybe that's something we should look at here. Like... We were slower than a lot of other countries, and Ottawa can't live in a bubble where it assumes that the public isn't going to notice that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, we'll leave it there. Uh, Your piece that's up is mentioned, nationalpost.com. Appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us here. Take care, man. All right, you as well. Matt Gurney, columnist, editor with the National Post, uh, and his piece today worth uh, worth a read on uh, Sweden's gamble. Uh, Sweden took a gamble on COVID and lost the bet badly. The headline says, let's take a break here. We will have some time for your calls in this hour, 403-974-8255. We're back after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.